This is um, one of my favorite passages and I think a very challenging and misunderstood story. We think of it as the, the prodigal son and as if there's a, the good one and the bad one, which really a lot of time our um, misinterpretation of the Bible, I think, comes from trying to be egocentric and make it our story instead of God's story. And for example, in the Garden of Eden, we think about it as being the original sin whereas we should think about it as being the original grace. Because even in all that they did, God goes with them. And even though they lose power, paradise, God does as well because God goes with them. And that movement of God is, is that central part of the story that we seem to lose because that's where our hope is. And so in this story, it's a story of a loving father. Even though it may be written as the lost son or the prodigal son, as a title, that's added to this text, and that's not how Jesus frames it. He begins it with, there was a man with two sons. And so I want to help you as you listen to this passage, and just think about it, uh, let's do some, just thinking about people in the Bible first, before we go to the text, because it is so familiar, just think about um, people. So when I say the name of the character, you tell me where they were, Zacchaeus. Where's he famous for being? Right, he's up a tree. Um, there is a demoniac that Jesus comes on and he says he has a legion of demons. Where is he living? Do you remember? This is a good Halloween image. He's living in Auburn. <laughs> and thus the pastor was derailed. Um, <laughs> yes, no, he is living in the graveyard. Uh, He's living in the tombs. Uh, there are ten lepers, and they are not on the inside of town, but the, I helped you out. Yeah. There is a woman at the well, and it's not just at the well, but what part of the day is it? The middle of the day. And the reason that location is significant is the middle of the day, there's not going to be anybody there. When you don't want to see anybody and you don't want to be the focus of gossip, you go in the middle of the day. So that location is important, but the timing of that location is what makes it significant. Um, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 comes at a time of the day. It comes at night, right, because, again, nobody's going to see him. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, Lazarus is where? He's in a tomb, right? He's dead. Uh, after Jesus dies, when he finds the disciples, where are they? They are hiding behind locked doors. Very significant location. When Thomas is, Thomas is not there. He is distant. And so we label Thomas as the bad one, the doubting one. And that's a good sort of reference for what we've seen so far. There's a lost coin and there's a lost sheep. And it's about distance. It's not about the doubting sheep. It's not about the wandering sheep. It's not about the rebellious sheep. It's just the sheep that's lost. So when Jesus encounters the sinners, he encounters them by their location, which is away from others. When he speaks to the Pharisees, Pharisees mean separate ones. In order to be good, they separate themselves from people they labeled as bad, but you need to keep labeling them as bad. If you remember your junior high years, chances are if you felt bad and you couldn't make yourself feel better, you just tried to make somebody else feel bad so that they look worse. So a lot of the piranha part of middle school is 
I can't make myself look better, but I can surely make you look worse. So we think about things in terms of space and distance. In this passage, when you think of all these people coming up that we just went through, the important part of the story, though, is not how far gone they are. It's how far Jesus goes to get to them. Behind the locked doors, Jesus appears. Zacchaeus is up a tree. Jesus speaks to him. The, the woman at the well in the middle of the day, he shows up in the middle of the day to meet with her. The leper's on the outside of the town. Nobody else from town goes there, but Jesus met with them. Jesus crossed that distance. The shepherd with the 99 sheep does what shepherds, good shepherds, who you would invest your money in, don't do. They don't leave the 99 and go, he's, he goes and crosses the distance. So there's that movement. I like uh, Alfred Adler as a teacher in psychology. He said, we attribute a soul only to moving, living organisms. The soul stands in innate relationship to motion, free motion. Those organisms which are strongly rooted have no necessity for a soul. How supernatural would it be to attribute emotions and thoughts to a plant? So to be more than a plant, we have to trust movement. And if you think about how we think about, think about how we think about our relationships, listen to these metaphors. I have a special place in my heart for you. He's my closest friend. She's out of touch. She's out of reach. He needs room to grow. She's an outsider. Politically, you have the far right and the far left. Location. We talk about others politically. You're definitely to the left of me. You're outside the lines. You're on the edge of trouble. And then we talk about movement, going in circles, growing distance, drive me crazy, move too fast. You slow down a lot. He's on a journey to becoming a man. She's climbing the ladder to success. He's following in his father's footsteps. She caught him. He did an about face, a U-turn. That was a step in the right direction. All about movement. So when you think about movement and when you think about these people, you also think about motivation. We have location, we have movement, we have motivation. Everybody does what behavior is motivated. motivated. Behaviors are always motivated. And even that shows up in some of our earliest riddles. Why did the banana go to the doctor? Does anybody know? He wasn't peeling well. Why did the cookie go to the doctor? Because he was feeling crummy. Why did the boy tiptoe toward the medicine cabinet? Because he didn't want to wake the sleeping pills. Why did the lady run, why did not the lady run from the lion? Because she heard it was a man-eating lion. And then finally, why is six afraid of seven, seven, eight, nine? Oh, look, there's movement because you understand the motivation. Zacchaeus is up, to, up a tree either to see Jesus or be seen by Jesus. The disciples are hiding because they don't want to be found. We all do things by motivation. And God's motivation is to find us and to be in relationship. And sometimes that means letting us go, and sometimes that means coming after us. Now hear the word of the Lord. Luke 15. 
Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. Let's think about this relationship. You have an older son and a younger son who in this society is thought of like this. And even if you're the richest kid in town in this dynamic, for that younger son, he will always be second. Cain and Abel were like this, God made it like this, and Cain killed Abel. Can't deal with this. So you can take all your money as the younger son, and if you go somewhere else, you won't be number two. You'll be number one. It's a motivation. He's tired of being second in his mind. He's not as good as his brother. So you go someplace else where you can be number one. And so he asked his father, Father, divide the inheritance between them. And this guy does what is crazy. If, you know, heads up to any of our children, if you say to your parent, it would be better for me if you were dead. But since you're not, <laughs> would you just go ahead and act like you're dead and give me my inheritance now? Chances are it will not go like this. <laughs> but he does. And so... To put it in perspective, God is not concerned with what other people think about him because in this parable, the father doesn't care. He does it. And he divides his property between both of the sons. Pay attention. He divides his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he traveled. He moved to a distant country, got away from his family, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Now pay attention. This is written or told to a Jewish audience. What difference does it make that it's pigs? What's the worst animal of all? Pigs. There's no pig pick and barbecue to come of all this labor. It's the worst job possible. And you're willing to eat what the pigs are getting. So he went from what he thought was going to be number one to number nine. That's his bottom and out. It's the bottom of his elevator. So he thinks and is willing to do something different. Sometimes we have to get there through tremendous pain before we are willing to let go of what we thought we had to have for what we really need. And he came to himself and said, man, how many of my father's hired hands had bread enough and to spare, but here I'm dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. Movement. He moved away to become who he thought he needed to be, and it totally crashed on him, so now he's going back. He doesn't see himself as being even a son anymore. So he's not second-place son. He's just wanting to be the lowest servant because at least it's better than what he had. I am not worthy. 
But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Distance is pain. The father felt that pain when his kid was far away. He could feel every mile, every inch. And that's not just in in physical distance, but it also can be emotional distance. When your kid comes and tells you, you know, it'd be better for me and I could be an adult if you just die. But since, you know, we're not having that, I don't want to wait. That is pain because that is distance. And when he goes away, the interesting and beautiful thing is the father is watching for him. Now pay attention to what's going to happen. When he comes back to town, if you have taken the town's richest estate and taken half of it and spent it in a foreign place, in a non-Jewish place. Now if you want to squander it at my store, that's cool. But if you're going to go to another town and squander it, now I'm still hungry. And you did it with our enemies or people who we don't like. There's a reason we're separate from them. And you just wasted all the money there. Waste your money here. It governs our economy. Don't waste it there. So when he comes back, the treatment would be rough. Could be rocked. Could be named. Could be sticks. But one thing stops that. The father runs to him. What is the father doing? How does he see him coming? Because he's watching. Hoping he'll come home. Hoping he'll come back. And when he does, he hikes up his robes, ties them in a knot, and runs. This is the cross in the story. The shame the boy couldn't deal with, father deals with it. Because everybody in town will make fun of him. Sure. Look at that crazy daddy. There was a guy who... um, whose son was in prison again, and his friend said, if that were my son, I'd leave him there. And he said, well, if it was your son, I would too. (laughs) It's just that crazy love. And so he takes that shame and he puts it on himself, and that's the cross. The shame is gone. And one of the interesting things is to make sure you understand the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is I am bad, guilt is I did badly. The guilt, the shame that he feels is, I did badly, therefore I'm not worthy. And he's going, son, I'm worthy, has got nothing to do with it. You've always been my boy. He just didn't get it. And now he can get it. And so he does. He puts a ring on him, puts a robe on him. Those are just symbols to say, beloved child. That's what we do baptism for. So even if you don't remember it, you've already had the robe, you've already had the ring, my child, my beloved. Don't forget it. So he crosses the distance. Now let's go to the next son. The elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and said, asked him what was going on. He replied, your brother's come, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Fatted calf, as if he was waiting for a reason to have a party. Hoping. The son became angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, and yet you've never given me even a young goat 
so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back and has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill a fatted calf for him. His father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because the brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Listen to his language. He speaks to him with contempt. Contempt for what the father's doing. Contempt because he doesn't get it. Contempt is a bigger distance than the miles and miles from country to country. When you speak at someone with contempt, when you label them with contempt, that distance between you emotionally is far greater than the miles. Judge not lest you be judged, because when you speak with contempt on another, it shows what's in you. And what's in him is really painful. Now, for this party scenario, the father should be attended to by the elder son. That's his job. So if the elder son's throwing, if the elder son hears that his dad's throwing a party, it's his job if he were obedient, he would go and say, Father, what do you need? While the father says to everybody else, what do you need? So his job was to take care of the dad while the dad takes care of everybody else. And so when this party's going on, the people in town are seeing it, they're going to go, where's the dad, where's the son? Oh, he won't come in. He's pitching a fit. Well, just like the first one, could be whipped with sticks, could have been left on the outside, he could have kicked him out as well because I have chosen, I am the father, I get to love who I choose. Do not take my power to choose away. And he's trying to control the dad. Don't control me. But what he does, regardless of what people think about him, he moves and crosses the distance to that son as well. Just like he did for the sinners, he did for the Pharisees. He crosses the distance and tells them this story. I've come to you. And he goes, all my life I've lived like a slave. Now pay attention. At the beginning of the story, apparently this father's estate is quite, um, there's no scarcity. There's an abundance. He can give it all away and still throw a party. So there's an abundance in God that we don't get. But he gives it all away and throws a party. But he gives it, he divides the estate in half. And gives half to the older son. And he says, you've never given me a goat. Gomer, I gave you half the estate at the beginning. You just don't think you're a son, so you didn't accept it. He didn't know how to accept a gift because he's trying to earn it. All my life I've lived like a slave. There's no reason for a son to live like a slave. He threw it away. And then got mad about it. And then speaks with contempt, not just as father, but as brother. He's that son of yours, not a brother of mine. I have no relationship with him. He crossed, did the unforgivable sin to me, and so I'm done. He squandered your money with prostitutes. Well, there's no story, there's no indication that that was what he did. This is gossip now. Again, he's not talking to the son. He's not talking to his brother He's talking at his father, not to his father. He's not owning his pain and saying, this is why this hurts all my life I've lived. Because if he did, then he could let it go and be loved. But he won't let that go because the pain is what he knows. And a lot of times the pain is that we'd rather have consistency than we would grace. All my life I've lived like a slave. And he's going, Gomer, you never had to. You've always been my beloved son. 
The younger was never second rate in the father's eyes, and the older was never a slave. Nobody had to work to be good enough because worthy wasn't what it was about. It's all about movement. The God who moves. And that's the Bible in a nutshell. It's the God who moves toward us. Not about us getting it right. It's that God's already gotten it right. We are in right relationship with God because God continues to keep coming to us. And hopefully our elevator doesn't have to go to the point of totally blowing it and eating food with pigs or totally thinking we are a slave and just beating ourselves with some sort of whip all our lives. But find out that there's a party going on. (laughs) One of the strangest interpretations of this passage is that the image of Jesus in the passage is the fatted calf. He dies and we all have a party. So I don't really know that that's legit, but the invitation is there. Come inside. Join the party. And be released from the idea that being worthy has anything to do with it. And if there's any good news in the gospel, that's it. Let us pray. God, whether we think we're not good enough for something we did or not good enough for something we haven't done yet, help us to let go that there's such a thing as good enough because hell is the idea that there's a good parent, a good teacher, a good whatever, labels we put on ourselves instead of loved so that we can be loving. God, there is not a shortage of your love, but there is a shortage of us being loving May contempt never come from our lips again, and may love pour from our hearts, knowing that as we flow it out, you will fill us up, and we will find ourselves in your kingdom, for that is why we have come, that's why we have gathered, and that's why we lift our voices, praying as we were taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.